Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. Another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the band of brothers to my saving private Ryan, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing? I'm, I'm trying to come up with a with a saving privates joke, but like the 12-year-old brain in me is not firing right now. It's just not coming. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, I think the funniest one I ever saw was saving Ryan's privates. That's 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 not a joke. Uh, that is a legit parody you can find in the adult section of your local video store should they still exist. Man, you know, I was watching that blockbuster uh that blockbuster documentary on Netflix which is ironic in and of itself. It's funny because the one of the ways that blockbuster kind of separated itself from the mom and pop video store is there was no shady section with beads covering the door. I know you know my, what I'm talking my, about. My Video Depot in uh, California, it had a, uh, it had like a saloon door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was either saloon door or you got the, ba- the, the wall of beads with the bell attached. Mine was the wall of beads with the bell attached. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And mine was like the most generic video store ever. It was just called Videos. Nice. There was this place by my dad's house in Tustin, I think. I don't even remember what it's called, but their horror section was awesome. In the center of it, they had this, like, it was entombed in plexiglass, but there was a coffin, and, like, a, a Dracula would rise up out of it and then go back down. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was rad. Anyway, anyway, we're, we're getting distracted. Hello, hello, Jonathan. We're back. I know. It's been too long. We are finally back. So let's let's talk about why we took an extended break. You know, they say life happens. Yeah, a lot of life happened. A whole lot of life happened. Mostly to you. Actually, entirely. Yeah, mostly. Actually, yeah. Well, both of us got the spring break. Yes. Yes. Well, but I, I was the one that I was the one that canceled on spring break because I, I had plans. I, we went and visited the grandparents. Yeah, and I was ready, too. That's what sucks. Yeah, I know. Anyway, OK. OK. So first, first, we uh, you had the Texas freeze. Yes. So the, the great Texas freeze of 2021, also known as, hey, 2020, hold my beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was rough, man. Actually, interestingly enough, I had a lot of people that I don't talk to regularly reaching out and asking to make sure everything was okay, which Aww. to all of you out there that that reached out, thank you so much. Like I you'll never understand just how much it means to get a little message like that. Yeah, you don't check the Discord enough, but Ray and Brendan were quite worried about you. It was a really 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 terrible terrible week, and we knew it was going to be a bad day. What we didn't know that it was that it was going to be a bad week's worth of days because of a variety of different issues. Uh, Texas was completely unprepared as a state. Uh, most cities, thankfully not mine, but most cities ended up having very, very bad water issues, getting clean water to their residents. Um, and power was a huge issue. And of course, this was we had most of the time we had temperatures hovering in the um, negative teens. So it got really. For Texas, that's really, really rough. Yeah. We just don't have infrastructure to support that. And, certain, you know, we don't also have um, just the the layout in terms of our uh, public utilities to, to support that kind of weather for that kind of duration. It was five days of freeze. 
which I know everybody north of Texas is probably like, you guys suck, but you have to understand we don't have any of the equipment. We don't have plows. We don't have salt machines. Uh, none of our stuff is winterized. You have an electric grid that decided not to spend money weatherproofing their stuff and just pocketed everything oh, for years. Oh, don't get me started on that. Yeah, that that's the main problem, Jonathan. If you had power that whole time, even if you couldn't drive around, it wouldn't have been that bad. No. It no, was the power grid. Sitting there at five in the morning under three blankets, you haven't had power in 17 hours, and you're just you're wondering how bad it's going to get because it's already getting into the low 50s in your house. That's not a pleasant way to live, let me tell you. That was a rough one. Yeah, yeah. So then um, we got out of the Texas freeze, and then promptly, uh, a couple weeks later, just as we were about to record, uh, unfortunately, my wife contracted coronavirus, which then passed along to myself and two of the kids. And so um, we managed to get two over to their mom's right before the the infection hit so they were okay and then somehow amelia the little one she just didn't get it which is trippy yeah you said she was snuffly like you're you were wondering if she had it because she was like kind of snuffly yeah, she always tested negative it was crazy man yeah, weird she probably had it it's probably that magic kidness of her i don't know i don't know either way we dodged a huge bullet we were incredibly lucky uh, you know, however it is that you want to look at it, um, we, I felt sorry for your, for Carlos, man, your son, like, cause there was like, I, I want to say like a day or two where, uh, your wife and he had it before it got, it spread to you and, uh, and Sophia. And he, he was just like trapped in a room with his mom. Like <laughs> I, I can't imagine a bigger hell for a teenage boy, you know, like just crawling on uh, the walls. I don't think it was the most pleasant thing. But. <laughs> Well, and your your wife is yeah. like a hardcore extrovert, so just like shutting her in a dungeon, like I that. Oh man, I, let me tell you, those two days before I tested positive were a living hell. <laughs> Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. Can I come downstairs? No. That's the whole point of quarantine. <laughs> nice. Yeah my 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 wife was not built to quarantine. I, on the other hand, loved quarantining. It, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, thankfully we were very lucky. We got very, very mild to, to no symptoms, depending on who you talk about in the family. Um, mine, my symptoms were extreme fatigue and extreme joint pain. So obviously with the fatigue being what it was and me having the, uh, attention span of a squashed kumquat. Yeah. Needless to say, we couldn't record. And then spring break happened to both of us. Yeah. I went out of town. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, unfortunately, my dog passed away, Apollo. Um, he passed away from cancer, which was really rough and sucked. Yeah, I was sad. I liked Apollo. Apollo was my... Apollo's a good boy. He was a good he boy. He was a good, good boy. I missed that dog. Yeah. I, I, but before that happened, I was just thinking about how I missed that dog. Like, I, he, he was my bud because he, he was nice and chill, and he was so happy to get pets from me. He just, like, loved it. Oh, yeah. No, he, the, one of the best things about him was that when I would be in here working, um, he would walk over every so often just randomly in the middle of the day and he'd shove his head into your hand and be like no it's time to pet me now (laughs) i know you think it's work time and that's adorable but it's actually time to pet me if you didn't know yeah if you didn't you hadn't gotten the the memo the memo (laughs) as per my email it's time to pet me (laughs) did you get the uh the pet the tps pet reports yeah yeah. exactly i filled them out in triplicate that means it's uh yeah yeah, you can you can alter a, a secondary state for petting. <laughs> but uh yeah, so it was it's been a rough quarter. 
Um, so thankfully that's all behind us and now we're recording again. And now this is the first time life has felt normal in a in three months, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then also we couldn't uh, record on the off weeks because our D and D group or our Delta green group, I guess they do something on the weeks that we don't play Delta green. And so they, with their family, they play D and D with their family. Isn't that adorable? It is. It makes me happy, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, the two brothers, and then, like, it's... I think it's one or both of the sisters, the brothers, and some cousins. So, yeah, it's 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 adorable. But, yeah, it and so... But I'm running Delta Green right now, and editing a podcast while I'm trying to prep a really, really complicated adventure, that, that just wasn't going to happen, so... And it is complicated. Oh. It's extremely complicated. Oh, yeah. Oh, you don't have... You don't know the half of it, dude. <laughs> I hey man, I gotta tell you, I'm loving the hell out of it though. I'm having so much fun. All right, well, let's get through our announcements. Put a pin in that. We'll 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 round it. We'll rope around to there. So yes. Well, as always, for the first time in a quarter, it six is time weeks. For us to say, six weeks. It's not a quarter. It's it six weeks like a, it. Six weeks a quarter. No, None. six weeks is a little, little less. But yeah, whatever. Okay. Well, there you go. What feels like a well, quarter? One way or another. It's been too long since I've been able to say thank you to all our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on. We appreciate you. We love you. We've missed you so much. Man, it feels so good to be recording right now. I can't even tell you. Did did I tell you we have a new patron? Oh, fantastic. I know. Hello, new patron. Yeah, yeah. It's Brandon. My buddy Brandon. He's given us some. Oh, awesome. Hi, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Good times. I saw that. I saw that. And I made a note of it to, like, add it to the recording. And it never happened. (laughs) <sighs> well jonathan on that note i guess happy uh, national scrabble day hey there you go i love scrabble it's like it's it's one of those few traditional board games that still works and it's still fun for me yeah yeah well because it's not yeah my 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 parents bought monopoly because of did you slap them and scream out no like batman in the meme yeah no i'm like i'm not playing the family killer like are you crazy and they're like what it's a classic and i'm like yeah it's been around for 80 years i play board games that have been around for like so five are or my 10. knees but all they do is cause me pain <laughs> but yeah yeah that's scrabble that's the scrabble so yeah go go do your hashtag national scrabble day on the social media play some scrabble it's a good good excuse to yeah you know because we record this in the future so this is happening in the future but on national scrabble day what say you and i find a way to play some scrabble intriguing you put that on there you put that you make that happen i make that happen why do i have to make everything happen can't you make one because thing i've happen? got so much going on right now i don't you just assume man you just assume i'll see what i, I know do. you have a lot going on without a doubt without a doubt but you also have a bit smidgen more cycle time for your brain than i do unfortunately well i do have two less children Yes, two less children, two less dogs, one less puppy. Yeah, I have two cats, but they're really old cats. They all yeah, yeah, but they're so self sufficient compared to dogs. Oh no, I know, they're, and they're old, so they, most of the time they just sleep and chill around. Like when they're being demanding, they're they like sit next to you. It's like pet me, and I'm like okay, and they're like good, stop. I'm just gonna sit here now. It's like all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> So this week's going to be a little different We're uh, because uh, a lot we did a lot of stuff. We're going to have a long off-the-shelf segment. We're cutting most of what's in segment two because... Uh, we want to get you guys caught up. Well, yeah, and, and we were talking about shotgunning it, but I'm like, I don't want to shotgun like anything. I, I did some good stuff. It was fun, so I want to talk about it. It's just there's a pile. There's a gigantic pile. <laughs> yeah, there really, really is. That's no joke. 
And then one last thing. I screwed up last episode, Jonathan. Lo, those many months ago. Uh, the, <laughs> the Blue Danube River flows through Budapest. I don't remember what I said, but I, I knew that. I've run Knights Black Agents of Budapest. I don't know how I, I missed that. I felt really stupid afterward when I like thought about it for 60 seconds. So that one's on me. Timely Department of Corrections. Jonathan, what well, there you sh- go. where should we start? Where should we start? Yeah, man, I think we just need to start working our way through this sucker from top to bottom because it's a, it's a beastie. You want to talk about Delta Green first since we brought it up, or do you want to just do it in the, the order of which it stands? Let's just do it in the order. Then we, we I don't I can't even remember the last time we did this in the right order. Uh, last episode. Oh well, hell, there you go. But that was like three months. Ago, so. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. So it just counts like being forever at this point. Uh, so let's talk about board games. Uh, let's let's get the ones that you and I have played together out of the way because we have played some things together, which is awesome. We played Root. Yes, we did play Root with Ray because the anniversary for Ray's episode has come and gone, which God, we will talk man, about I later. Can't it's but been a year. Yeah, yeah, more than a year at this point. Uh, so I played the Vagabonds, which was hilarious, and uh, you played. What, Somebody, Ray was the cats and you were the birds? Ray was the cats and I was, no, I wasn't, was I the Woodland Alliance? I thought you were the the last people in charge, so I thought that was the birds. Was I the fox? Yeah, I was the foxes. Were you? I don't remember. Anyway, it was fun. Regardless, I think you were the foxes. I think I was, because I, I was not, no. Or were you the birds? I don't remember. I don't either. I mean, I enjoyed myself. I have no idea what's going on. That was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, re- I had a really good time. It was super fun. We would have talked about that had we recorded 105 on time. Like, that's how long ago it was. That was over a month ago. What, what, what I walked away from that game is, A, it's, it's quite, brilliantly lay- quite brilliantly laid out, which is awesome. Like, it's really a fun game. But... That being said, the learning curve is stiff because not only do you need to learn your faction, but because everything is so asymmetrical, if you don't know the other factions, you're just going to get you're, you're going to get run. Yeah, yeah. It's like a it's like old school games workshop. You know, you got to keep an eye on everything and know all the little bits and pieces. So my my five minute pocket review of Root is it's brilliant and it's super fun and it's super streamlined. But be prepared because you don't just have to learn your faction. You have to learn all the factions. And I, I think this is one of those games where it's like 10 to 12 games before you're really feeling comfortable enough to say, I know what's going on 100%. I can spot what the other factions are doing. Yeah, I'd agree. And that's not a bad thing. I wish more games were like that. It's beefy. It's a beefy game. I, I, it's, well, and because all the factions play so different, I mean, it's one of those games because you, you've got a bit of magpie syndrome. You, you, you rotate through a lot of games. But like Root, you could rotate through all the factions and be quite fine for a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, honestly, the, the, the thing I kept coming back to in my head, which is not a comparison in terms of gameplay, um, was Twilight Imperium. That, that's a game that you can you can dedicate a good chunk of your time to and and still not have mastery because you don't know what the other people are doing. Although Root is much more streamlined. Different experience. Different experience. Truth, truth. And we're still playing Welcome to... So much so. Oh, man. I bought it. I bought it. I went and bought a physical copy. If if I could find a physical copy, I would. I have been enjoying the living daylights. I, I ended up doing it from Amazon. I don't want to wait anymore because it didn't look like they were going to do a reprint anytime soon. Because it's a small little company. Every time they do a reprint, they have to go to Kickstarter. So I'm like, eh, 
I'll just get it now. Well, Welcome to is brilliant. It's such a neat little game. Yeah, and it's perfect for uh, uh, Board Game Arena because... Um, yeah, it, it's an experience that lends itself well to asynchronous play. Yeah, well, one, one of the good things is everybody takes their turn simultaneously. So, you know, you're not like waiting on people. So it, it plays a little bit faster than some of the other games we played. And the other thing that's really nice about it is um, there's a lot there. And it's not like it's an easy game, but your planning on it isn't so complicated that you kind of forget what you're up to <laughs> if, if, yeah. if you go half a day, you know, because like a, a very valid strategy on that game is what is the thing I can do right now that will get me the most points? Do that thing. And that's it. And it works. Yeah. 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 It's a fun game. I, I physically bought it and I bought the, uh, the dry erase sheets there. They come in a four pack. So I've got four of those. Yeah, that's the way to go. Otherwise, you're going to go through a ton of sheets, which I understand that they sell just the pad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not against like using it. It's just, you know, if we're going to be in the house, that's one thing. But, you know, if we're if we take it over the grandparents or if we end up with more than four players, like I'm not going to feel too bad about breaking out the sheets. But this way, you know, also also um, (laughs) this sounds stupid. My daughter for homeschooling, they they use like the, the dry erase boards, you know, and then they show them to the screen or whatever. Oh, yeah. So we got her a bunch of new markers because she had like just gone through every single dry erase marker we had in the house. So I bought this like crazy pack at friggin. Yeah, I'm talking about you. What do you want? I'm talking about you. I there's nothing to hear. Go away. You're ruining the podcast. <laughs> <sighs> Family. <laughs> Why do you ruin everything? <laughs> So I got this giant pack of markers at Costco, which I'm like, go through those. And then my wife got a new iPad and passed her old iPad down to her. And she has fallen madly in love with the Procreate drawing program that I was drawing onto. And she just uses that for school now. So now we have just this pile of dry erase markers with nothing to do with them. And I'm like, welcome to boom. We'll just wreck them all. Welcome to this seems like a plan. I love it. All right. Uh, you've got a pile. I've got actually got three more things. You seem to have. Well, let's see. We played Root together. We played Welcome to. Was there anything else? Brass. We played Brass together. Did we? Yes. What? Were you there? No. I thought you were there. Or I guess maybe it was with Ray and Brendan. And then you weren't missing, I guess. Oh, yeah. That was the day I was not there. Oh, that's right. That, that sucks. Okay. So we did not play Brass together. No. No. The new version of Brass is dope. If you enjoy Brass and you've played it before, this new version kind of polishes that, uh, polishes it all up and, and fixes a few of the outstanding issues and is awesome. Highly recommended. Cool. You okay, sugar? Oh, you're doing the doggy spin? Okay. Good girl. Sorry. I, I realized you didn't talk about your new dog. Oh, I didn't, I guess. So after Apollo passed away, we were all pretty upset as you can imagine and honestly the house just didn't feel the same so we decided you know not not in terms of replacement but just in terms of the house just felt empty and ragnar was depressed and like it was just weird like the house felt weird so we ended up getting a new puppy and her name is leia and uh she's a cute little well right now she's little she's gonna be like bigger than apollo was when she's done growing Oh my god, her paws are huge. Yeah, she's going to be giant. a tall girl. Have, have you seen pictures of the adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked up the breed. Say the breed out loud. I don't remember it. Uh, it's a red bone hound. Yes, I, I, I looked that up on the Wikipedia's after you told me what it was. So, 
So yes. they're, they're, they're very, very pretty, um, pretty dogs. If you are familiar with the book Where the Red Fern Grows, that is the type of dog that the main character um, got. And I have wanted to have one of those hounds um, pretty much since I read the book, which would have been fifth or sixth grade, if, if not even earlier. And so uh, I figured, you know, there's a limited number of dogs left in my future. And if I'm going to do a puppy, now's probably the time because uh, puppies are rough, man. Puppies are difficult. I've forgotten how tough a puppy is. It's been 13 years since the last time I had a puppy. And then I was commenting to you that, like, I, I, I think you're selling yourself short. But I, I was reading about the breed and I'm like, a high energy puppy? I could buy that. <laughs> i could buy that because yeah I, th- I think you got one more high energy puppy and you probably because you're a healthy dude but yeah i think i think after that yeah you're kind of done so if you always wanted the the dog it's probably probably a good time to do it like when, when i adopted apollo he was just about leia's age he was you know eight nine weeks old leia's now 13 you know like puppies are a different kind of energy when we adopted ragnar uh and when i adopted kelsey they were both nine months old so some of that energy was still there but not like not the way they are when they're super super tiny you know what i mean yeah and the dog is not super super tiny which is hilarious yeah and they're they're quicker to pick things up like potty training which no that, that that's funny like the last dog i had i think is the size of your puppy which is just bizarre <laughs> yeah she's she's getting she's gonna get big she's got some big old paws i don't know that she'll ever grow into those years though oh you sent me the most awesome video it was her running in slow motion you know like oh, yeah, they watch like style that? oh god it was so funny so like figured, the best part is the, the kids would like that that's why i said that one too yeah you know the best part is so like it's a video and it, it's uh jonathan's like sitting on i guess you're on the stairs would be my guess yeah and, on the uh, stairs and uh, and he had like a squeak toy. And so you say, hey, Leia, squeak, squeak, squeak. And then the dog looks up and that's like right when the slow-mo kicks in. And it's just like, it's just, it, it's comedy because like her jowls are like flopping and her ears are flopping. <laughs> and then like after a real good slow-mo beat, you're just like, <laughs> and it's you squeaking the, sl- the, the squeak toy slow-mo. Motion. Oh, it was great. <laughs> like, like my daughter yeah. lost it right there. She, that that, just, that <laughs> video is hysterical on like eight different levels. Yeah, yeah. And then it like comes back into normal, like like right in the middle of a squeak. Because I'm like, what is this? Are you just going like, are you like baying like a donkey? Like, what is this noise? <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, it was good times. It was good times. The, the, that, the first time I played it back for myself, when it got to the squeak, I asked myself, wait, did I say something? I sound like <laughs> and, then, and then I realized that I'm like, oh, there's no variation. That's the squeak. <laughs> <sighs> all right all right we, we might have to post that video just for the comedic value because it's friggin' hysterical ages ago uh we borrowed um sushi go the classic from the library and uh my daughter loved it because she loves sushi for some reason um i don't know why like i i don't know many nine-year-olds that well, i don't know maybe i do know nine-year-olds but she loves sushi so and and i think that's why she wanted to get the game i think she just loves sushi anyway so we got it and we took it over to grandma and grandpa's and we busted it out for the first time after having it for like a year. And yeah, it's a delightful little game. It's, uh, it's drafting. I love drafting. I love games that draft like seven wonders and magic and stuff. It's, it's, it's good. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but it, we got the party pack. So it's got different cards. So you can kind of like tune your game cause they all have slightly different effects and whatnot. So you can have different combinations being going off and whatnot. It's, it's good times. 
And the scoring board's pretty clever. It's it's one of those um, two layer cardboardy thingies, you know. And so when you build your deck, uh, you uh, the scoring board is called the menu. And so every different piece of sushi that you you are playing with, you put it there so everybody can kind of look at how they score uh, in one place on the scoring track, which is very clever. Yeah, I've played Sushi Go. It's it's a fun little set collection game. I don't know if you like it, uh, especially if you're more of a hardcore gamer like you and me, don't spring for the uh, the party pack where you can, you know, because they put the complicated sushi in there that require a little bit more brain power to get to go off, which is nice. And it gives it more replayability, you know, because it's not the same deck over and over and over. Although it's a little annoying putting that deck together every single time. But, you know, there's there's pros and there's cons. So tell me about a game you're playing, sir. Been playing a couple a uh, couple things uh Beyond what we already talked about, uh, Marvel United uh, is back on the table because uh, all of the expansions that were promised to me by Simon when I backed the Kickstarter have finally arrived. By the way, little Chibi Blade might be my favorite. Nice. <laughs> Chibi Blade, also one of the reasons why I broke down and ended up getting the game. But um, yeah, uh, the expansions are cool. I think well, I'm, I'm going to pocket talking about it extensively for now. Because I'd like to revisit this game now that we know what the full picture looks like in terms of what's available in terms of content. Yeah, we're talking and, about doing a like a deep dive part due. Yeah, and I think that this is going to lend itself well because there's a couple of different ways that the game gets pretty radically changed, uh, especially with the Sinister Six and the. Uh, you know, you know what it's like. You know, what it's like Kotaku. Sometimes they'll do you know blah games six months later. You know, to talk about patches and whatnot. Yep. Marvel United six whatever later so yeah needless to say there's some big changes we'll talk about it real soon I like it um I've been playing a game called Tidal Blades uh which I'm not going to go into right now because that is an upcoming review uh but I really like it and my gosh this is one of the prettiest games I've ever seen it's gorgeous well guess what I played a new board game I would you play Battletech Beginner Box with my buddy I saw that I was kind of jealous I want to play it you know what? You have played it because uh, it is very clear after playing that game. <laughs> Privateer Press stole so much of what became <laughs> War Machine oh, from that game. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So so the beginner box is simpler than War Machine. And I've been reading about what's in the advanced rules. And that is way more fiddly than <laughs> war machine is so Battle i think tech fiddly surely not yes so i think i think what privateer did fossa games man yeah yeah I, I think what privateer did was they they tried to hit the sweet spot of fiddly and i they largely succeeded back in the day but yeah no it was fun giant robots and shooting and whatnot i mean we played the intro scenario it was it was like nothing but um I'm kind of I'm kind of resisting playing the game more because I, I'm a miniatures guy and I'm eventually going to have to get a Mad Cat because I just like the way that mech looks for no particular reason. Uh, I mean, everybody likes the best the looking one of the bunch. Right, right. But I, I'm going to end up having to buy one and assembling it and painting it so I can have a Mad Cat. And then Gina's going to be mad at me. And I'm going to be mad at myself because I haven't painted anything in months or years. And I'm going to have to bust all this stuff out if I paint. If, yeah, yes. So I'm I'm kind of avoiding playing it because I I don't want to I don't want to open that rabbit hole because oh man oh scratching that itch of a miniatures game oh it felt so good Jonathan it felt so good hold on what you doing sir well go on I was looking for one thing and then I found a whole nother 
You're being cryptic and I hate that. Like, tell me what's going on. I'm just over at Miniature Market. You know, it looks like you're going to be about out about 15 bucks for your Mad Cat. <sighs> Shut up. You know, oh, look, these renders are nice. It looks good. It looks good. <sighs> in oh, every day. There's, there's, uh, there's, there's, you know, in every way. Foot I keep feeling too. better and better. Fine. So, I'll, apparently. I'll, oh, go ahead. oh, no, I'm just you're, you're, you're just ribbing me. I am, but you know, you do the same thing to me. The only reason I have Marvel United is because your ass kept on sending me friggin' pictures of all the cute little. Well, I had to get my points for the win, Jonathan, because you lied to me, and I had to put the thumb on the scale to try to compete. And you shut your mouth. You didn't. And you shut your mouth. (laughs) You brought that upon yourself. (laughs) You brought my wrath upon you. Oh man! Uh, but anyway, while I'm out here looking for the BattleTech stuff, lo and behold, there's pre-orders up for a new Robotech RPG. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Because um, Kevin Savage Symbi- Worlds. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it was on Kickstarter a while ago. How did sh- I miss that? I don't know because I didn't tell you about it. I saw it. I keep True. my eye on stuff like that. You did not tell me. I didn't know you liked Robotech. <laughs> it's like one of my most favorite things. I actually oh. have all the books for the uh, Robotech uh, RPG that was originally released way back when. Oh, the Palladium wow. one. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a little rough. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, it's a little old school system. Oh, gosh, yeah, there's old school, and then there's that. I mean, that's like archaic school. No, nah, no, nah, that's pretty standard for old school. Yeah, it, anyway, it's, anyway. It's not an easy read. Not an anyway, easy read. Anyway, okay, I'm going to finish myself out, because I, I don't care anymore. Uh, and we played Potion Explosion, and it was it oh, continued to be fun. Good. The oh, end. Good. Uh, I played Heroes of Tiranoth, uh, the card game, uh, because I could play it one player, and at one point, um, after everybody got better from the Rona, uh, because... We had temporary immunity. Jessica and Carlos and Sophia drove down to Houston to spend the day with her mom. And, um, yeah, so they were gone. And I went kayaking and I played uh, Here's a Terranoth because I could play it alone. And it was great. Nice. All right. Should we go to TV? Yeah, let's go movies and TV. Okay. So WandaVision finished. Oh, my God. It's so good. It was so good. So good so good and dare i say probably better than falcon and the winter soldier thus far not that different i i, 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 th- I think really falcon and the winter soldier falcon can pull it off if they if if they die it's it's like the movie like we're like halfway through the winter's captain america the winter soldier you know like every nothing makes sense because it's a conspiracy you know well yeah because they, they they haven't revealed the hand yet but remember how, how the first four episodes of WandaVision, we were all just sitting there scratching our heads and going like, I'm fascinated by this, but I don't know what's happening. WandaVision, I think, is better also because uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier feels more like, well, it feels like Captain America and the Winter Soldier. It's, 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 so, it, it's a road they've tread before. That, that's one thing I really like about, um, about both of these shows. And now the, the trailer for Loki came out today. Have you watched? That? Oh yeah. I watched that, that I I'm all over that. Timey whiminess. Yeah. This is the, this is the greatest thing that I think Marvel has managed to accomplish is every individual, uh, franchise has its own feel. And then they, they get this beautifully balanced mixed drink when they bring everybody together. Yeah. Yeah. They need to learn to do that with star Wars. Cause that, that is actually my know, chief man. complaint. Mandalorian no. is pretty dope. I, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the movies because say what you will. I know you like solo more than I did, 
and Rogue One and all that. But I, I think a lot of the problem with their expansion movies is they all try to give them the same vibe of like classic Star Wars and they just kind of blur. Yeah. Like I, I think Solo should have been much more of a heist movie than it was. It didn't it didn't quite but go that all train in heist on that. was dope. That train I, I'm not saying it wasn't. I'm just saying like I it it, it they need to lead into it a little bit more than they have. And I, I think that's a problem with the movies in general. And the Mandalorian oh, is, is on the right track because the Mandalorian is leaning into things that it, it's leaning into the space Western thing, which is fine. But <clears throat> yeah, they, they just need to learn that lesson that because Marvel, they do it all the time. Marvel, they do it all the time. It's great. You know, we get your action comedies like Ant-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy. And, you know, you get your like techno thrillers and yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, no kidding. So it, it's funny that you bring up the techno thriller because I went kind of on a little techno thriller um, splurge. I watched uh, Patriot Games, Some of All Fears, and Clear and Present Danger. And it's it's really funny because I got keyed into those because I watched Falcon and Winter Soldier and I was like, man, this makes me want to like watch some good old techno thrillers. So I went back and watched them. And and that's one of the cool things that the, the Captain America movies did is it tapped into that vein. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I watched all those movies, by the way. Harrison Ford was so good in those films. Not that he was in some of all fears, because that was uh, Ben Affleck. Woefully miscast as Jack Ryan, I might add. Yeah, I'd agree. That movie was goofy, man. It wasn't bad. It just, yeah, it didn't quite. No, it wasn't bad. But I mean, like, you know, you've got Hunt for Red October, which is a phenomenal film that still holds up today. And then you've got uh, uh, Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger with a, a casting change, but it still retains that same feel. And then you've got Some of All Fears, and it just it's just feels goofy next to the other two. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say it. Yeah, no, it doesn't hold a candle. I didn't think it was bad. It just wasn't good either. <laughs> no, it's not bad, but you're right. It's not good either. It's 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 the 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 five. It's a five. It's smack dab in the middle. It does nothing wrong, but it also is not excelling at anything. Okay. So speaking of the Batfleck, uh, I have only watched the first part of Zack Snyder's Justice League because I have gotten distracted with my... Then, with- then we shall pause this discussion until the next okay. episode because there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot of movie. <laughs> yes. Over four hours. Okay. And honestly, I got to tell you, now now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, now that we live in a Falcon and Winter Soldier WandaVision world, I, I almost wish that that is the direction DC would go with their, their DC uh, universe. Because a Justice League film did, did need to be more than just the, the two hours that we got originally. Well, it, it's, it's, the, it's the standard, you know? Like, everybody I remember back in the day was talking about how the individual DC movies like Batman and all that were kind of bad. And but like the the Batman cartoon show and the Superman cartoon show from back in the day, those were great. Oh, man, and, those are fantastic. And, and they were better than Marvel shows. I still haven't seen a Marvel cartoon that I thought ca- got near those no, heights. The Marvel's never gotten the cartoons right. And even the, the DC animated movies have all been pretty, pretty on point. Yeah, well, and because they all have a continuity. And, and it's just one of those things like uh, for whatever reason, like DC works better as a TV show and Marvel works better as a little snippet of movie. You know? you know what? It's because they do have good complex characters, right? Like, look at Barry Allen. Look at um, Bruce Wayne. Like, these are complex, complicated humans, and you you can't explore them effectively in two hours. 
you you need more time to for them to grow and that's that's one of the things that works so well about the tv formula is you get little snippets of character and you get give the characters plenty of opportunities to grow and change now i will say the closest we've come to a genuinely uh, good exploration of a DC character is the Batman Begins franchise, the, that trilogy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even then, I was sitting there. I actually just watched Batman Begins, not to or Batman. Yeah, Batman Begins. I should have. Right. I don't know why I wrote Beyond on the, the script there. I just watched Batman Begins again, and I, I've got to tell you, like having watched some of these these Marvel characters. Um, develop more in the show and and now having seen a lot of what dc is doing in terms of their tv shows batman would have been better served by a good solid tv show with a good budget yeah no i i've i've wanted for a long time now somebody to make a csi style procedural crime drama but the star is batman (laughs) you know like actually do detective work like imagine that can can you imagine (laughs) just like an eight to ten episode um, no time restriction on an episode uh, Batman show. Like, yeah. that would be awesome. Yeah. Give the character room to grow. Well, in the year one story and like Batman the Long Halloween, those are great arcs, but yeah, they need to be done over time. Like Batman, can you imagine a 12 episode show based off of Batman the Long Halloween? Maybe 13 episodes? Yeah, we'll go with 13 episodes where it starts with October and then it, and then every episode is a month later in a year of Batman's life ending on October of the next year. Yeah. Or, or even year one, if you remember that, that book. Yeah. Yeah. But the long Halloween's kind of year two. That, that's kind of how it's written. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I would love that. I would love to have a Batman, the long Halloween TV show that begins. It bookends with Halloween a year apart. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> HBO max. Call us. We'll, we're, we're <laughs> we can fix this problem. You've got Okay, okay, I, I forgot about this because I did this so long ago. So I rented Remington Steel, right? <laughs> God bless you for that. Does that does that show age well? Because man, like some of the '80s stuff does not age well, and some does. It's it aged it, it's aged better than a lot of '80s stuff I, I've seen. I'll give it that. It's still got some like '80s problems, but like the basic plot of it, I think you could still do today with some tweaks. I can confirm now. I I, I am satisfied with my research. The nibbling that Pierce did as James Bond, that was a character choice for James Bond. <laughs> Hard-hitting investigative journalism brought to you by the Forgot My Dice podcast. And and I had a fun meta moment. So on the second episode... I saw uh, this in the screen. <laughs> I saw this in the notes. This is amazing. Yeah. So Remington is out uh, because he's a, like a con man. They give him the job of like um, schmoozing this lady to get her out of the way so they can do some detective work uh, around her or something like that. So he's out schmoozing her and they're at a restaurant together. And uh, and I forget what they're eating. It's like caviar or something expensive. And Remington says, Nadine, never bite. Always nibble. More champagne. And then Nadine shakes her head no. And Remington goes, anything? And Nadine goes, just a cozy place to do some serious nibbling. And I'm like, meta moment, full circle. My oh, life is man. complete. It was it was great. It was Yeah, great. you know what? I, I watched a couple other Pierce Brows and films and no nibbles there either. So yes, I, I concur. This was absolutely a choice specific to that character. And you know what? God bless you, Pierce Brows, and look at you doing the acting. <laughs> Because it, it is interesting, right? Like, when you really stop and think about it, I know it's like a nibble, but there, there, it, there's an aggression to it, right? I, I get it. At Bond's a predator, you know? Yeah, yeah. So he's I, like, I, I nibble. I don't kiss, I bite. 
because I'm you're my prey. Just yeah. make a little paw motion. I was making right little there. paw motions. Yeah, I know I was too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love you, buddy. Moving, moving right along. Next on my list is a movie that I think you watched. <laughs> so Godzilla vs. Kong, shall we talk? Oh, hell yes. Uh, <laughs> how shall I wrap this up? This is like the the, the, the battle of two films. Um, on the one hand, you've got the human story, which is an abominable mess. Like, what the hell did we watch? Okay, on the I, will other hand, a, I will put a caveat here. I will put a caveat. This movie is better than King of the Monsters because even yes. though the human story was a mess, and it is, it's a mess. I liked every human character. Like I was concerned about all of them. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want, I don't want, you know, 13 or whatever, or nine L 11. You, you there know we go. What this was, this, this, this was a Michael Bay movie, uh, in terms of storyline with better fight scenes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I, just make no mistake. If you walk into this and you think about the story and this is the, this is the problem with Godzilla versus calling is saddled with the story of the last Godzilla movie which was a hot mess. Yes. And because it's saddled with that, I mean, like you're stuck with it. That, that, that's, that's the crap you got to work with. So it is what it is. Don't get lost in thought on the, no. uh, on, on, on the human story. No. It, it, yes. I enjoyed the characters, but yes, it is also a Michael, Michael Bay level of script. You, you know what I really liked? I was reading about this, uh, Alexander Skars, the, the, the kooky, like two tone weird hero, but not, Yes. Yeah. God, like I didn't know what to make of his character because he's all over the place. Right. But like. but he, he was talking about filming that movie and he said he had a really good time because he's been playing villains a lot lately. And it oh, was just nice to play someone lock up. Yeah. And it, but, you know, it's like Sharknado, too. Right. Like when, when people are actively having fun, it, it's like it it's shows. like it totally shows. Yeah. It, it, it's like the most recent James Bond movies like Judy Dench and uh, and current Bond Daniel Craig. They obviously like really like each other. You know, like I, I've oh, seen them yeah. on interviews together because and they, they're having a grand time and it really shows in their performances because they they I mean, they're both good actors, but they they both like up their game around each other because they're well, having yeah, a good because time. They, they, they respect each other and they're they're having fun and they enjoy they enjoy the, the scene because they enjoy working with one another. Yeah. And and when you get actors that have that kind of chemistry, it, it's great. Like it brings up the whole thing. And and God bless Daniel Craig, because. Knives Out. I keep wanting to watch that movie again, but his foghorn leghorn accent was just beautiful. Um, you know, you know, Netflix just bought the two sequels. Netflix just bought the two sequels to Knives Out for four hundred and fifty million dollars, so they'll be coming to Netflix. Sweet, <laughs> whenever they get made. Yeah. Oh God, uh, one of them's already. Uh, I think in pre-production. Man, I would watch that because mo- it's a great. Knives premise. Out you- is freaking brilliant. It, it, it's <laughs> maybe the best film of the last year. Yeah, you just you just have. You just have that guy show up and detect another case. It's it, it's it yeah, it's exactly writes what itself. Doing. Writes yeah. itself. <laughs> but yeah, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, with with all the issues that there are with you know dialogue and characters and pretty much everything. Um, man, those fight scenes are freaking great because there comes a point where you're like you're watching the movie and and King Kong and Godzilla are both on the deck of an aircraft carrier and King Kong throws a right hook that I can't even begin to describe. And it's just this moment of like bliss. Like I'm watching it. I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And then those moments just keep on coming. Yeah. I really liked that Kong was like agile 
and uh, yes. Godzilla was just this bruiser. Like it, it made the fight interesting that they both the had like different fighters. styles. Yeah, yeah. You got uh, you, you got the the Muhammad Ali light on their feet, go at it, versus like a, a George Foreman tank. Yes. God. So yeah, good. and it played well. I and and thinking about it, that was something that was wrong with the last movie because uh, Monster Zero uh, and Godzilla were kind of the same thing. They were big, heavy brawlers, and it was really nice, like seeing somebody else with like a different fighting style, like go at it. Because you know, well, and that's that's one of the things that I, I. So the best film in this series, in my opinion, is Skull Island. It it gets the tone right, it gets the story right, and man, Kong is light on his feet and just so much fun to watch. And you got that Moby Dick uh, slash, you know, Apocalypse Now thing going on. Man, that, that movie's brilliant. I, I I like Godzilla 2014 better, but that's just because I like Godzilla better. I'm a, I'm a yeah, Godzilla but see, I, I think Godzilla is the, the second best film uh, in the series. And I think Godzilla is a brilliant film in and of itself because, again, it gets its tonality correct as well. Yeah. It's, it, but they're, they're very different experiences. And what's the thread that goes through both of those movies? You actually give a crap about the human characters, so you're yep. actually concerned. Because if you don't care about the human characters because they suck, uh, it just becomes a video game. And then you're watching someone else play a video game, and that gets kind of old. Unless apparently you're under the age of 20. Unless you're under the age of 20, because that's all people want to do now is watch other people play the game. Well, yeah, but I, I hate Weird. people on the internet who are just like, I just want to watch them fight. I'll just watch two hours of that. It's like, that would be so boring. Yeah, it no, would be would so boring. And I hate to admit it, I, I will round myself out. Uh, I went on an Adam Sandler kick, and I watched Happy Gilmore and The Water Boy, and I'm actually wow. watching The Wedding Singer right now. <laughs> so you're you're in you're in the good portion of his catalog, because God forbid, stop before you get to Little Nicky, for God's sake. I, I wasn't planning on getting to Little abort, Nicky. Abort, abort. I was thinking about watching some of his Netflix movies just because no, they're there. No, just don't, just don't, just don't, because I had to watch one with my family, and it was so bad. It was okay. so bad. Okay, fair enough. Just, just don't. I took one for the team on that one, okay? So Happy Gilmore hasn't aged super well, but it's all right. It's all right. The Waterboy, same deal. Same deal, but it's still funny. But it's got some parts that are, you know, rough by today's standards. But man, The Wedding Singer so far has been pretty decent. Although, yeah, there's, it's, it's also got, I mean, it's got 90s movies problems, but yeah. Yeah. That's as good as you're going to get in the Sandler catalog unless he's not involved in the production and he's just acting in it. Yeah, like Punch Drunk that Love. Uncut Gems is holy crap good. Yeah, um, I watched uh, the first episode of that new Robert Kirkman uh, uh, cartoon on Amazon, Invincible. Yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to do that. So How is it? good, so good, and man, what a cast! Hmm. Um, and then did anything else? Oh, watch Coming to America too. <laughs> How was that? Um, it was everything it, I wanted it to be. I mean, like, make no mistake, this is a love letter to coming to America, but it doesn't rely on the same kind of like cheap cameo nonsense that so many of these, these 30 years later sequels do. This gives you a reason for everything to be there. And the characters have grown like that time has gone by. And these characters are inherently different because they're older. Now they have, they're wiser and they have families and things have changed. And it's, it's a love letter to these characters. Like it, I, who knew that I would be sitting there watching it expecting to just get gags and get one of the most interesting character explorations I think I've seen in a long time. Hmm. Like, and Eddie Murphy helped to write it. Like I did not realize Eddie Murphy could do this level of introspection. He's changed. Intriguing. Okay. You've, you've 
You've got my attention now. I will. I, I'll I was watch really. That. It's. It was not what I expected. I expected the the slapstick over the top coming to America, and what I got was a very introspective character piece. Hmm. All right. With, with some slapstick, like like no no. I, I think this is in the trailer, but like there's a moment, and I won't I won't say why. But the Eddie Murphy character is going through a really difficult time, and he's trying to figure it out. And what does he do? He goes to the McDougals, and he is uh, he's mopping the floor. And Mr. McDougal comes in and he's he's talking about how he always liked mopping the floor because it was simple and he knew what to expect. And it was it had a clear beginning and middle and an end. And then, you know, like it was it, it wasn't complicated and life is complicated. And it was just a really like amazing moment. I'm like, wow, where, where did this come from? Wasn't <laughs> expecting this. All right. All right. Round out your movies that you've seen. Uh, I rewatched Inception. Man, that's such a brilliant piece of work. Um, and I also watched MI4, uh, Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol. And also a brilliant piece of work. Like, so good. So, so good. That's the only one of those movies I think I've only seen once. What, what, it, was it streaming somewhere again? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was on Prime. I think it was on Prime. Oh, okay. I'll have to watch that. Well, because our off-the-shelf is going so long, we're going to do this sucker in two parts, which means it is time for a short break, and when we return, it'll be time for off-the-shelf de de, And, of course, our normal other shenanigans. So we'll be right back! We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find the link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at ForgotMyDice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Ah. Uh... I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for for part two of our off-the-shelf segment. This is, of course, the segment where we continue to talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off of the shelf and into our hearts over the past, like, months. Because it's been a long time. Month and a half, two months, something like that. So on that uh, note, uh, let's move on to reading. I've been doing a metric ton of reading. I have been doing so little bit of reading, but I actually have something to add this time. So, yes. Was, was I, had I started talking about Axiom's End? Yes. Okay. So that is, of course, the book by YouTuber Lindsay Ellis. I highly recommend her channel. She does some wonderful, wonderful work on breaking down um, movies, which I really enjoy. And her book is spectacular. I finished Axiom's End up. I highly, highly recommend it. It is a a story unlike anything I was expecting, and I cannot wait for the next one. I am so stoked that there's another one coming out later this year. Then I read a really bad book. 
So there's another YouTuber I like to watch. Uh, he uh, used to be a, an F-18 slash F-16 pilot uh, in the Navy and the Air Force. And he st- started writing some techno thrillers, which I love. Love me some techno thrillers. Love me some Tom Clancy. And so I read the first book in his series called Spectre Rising. And I kept going, hoping to find something good and something meaningful and something worthwhile. And I'm sorry. It was terrible, man. It was terrible. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't Tom Clancy. It was some guy named Tim Clancy, like so close, but not really. Uh, and it was kind of like um, I don't know. You know, you, you know when you go to Lowe's after being in a Home Depot, and you're like, "Wow, Home Depot's so dirty and dusty, and everything kind of smells a little funny." And Lowe's is so pretty and nice. Like Tom Clancy is the Lowe's. But does the guy have like potential, or is he no? No, uh, his characters are two dimensional. The, the main female character in the book is uh, how should I put this? It's like he didn't know what to write in terms of a, a female character. So instead, he borrowed some like nonsensical nonsense from Knott's Landing and said, this will work. This is how people are. Right. No, <laughs> it's not at all how people are. And um, yeah, there's just a bunch of uh, what I would consider to be. To dem- you know what it was? The whole damn thing reads like an like a bad eighties action movie. In that, um, it's like ah, oh, how should I put this? You remember how culturally sensitive we were in the eighties towards anybody but um, you know, like the main character that was a dude. Yeah, from both a culture perspective and a gender perspective, it reads like an eighties action movie. And in two thousand twenty one, that's really rough to read. That's fair. That's fair. So, all right. Cannot recommend it um, unless you want to read a show, in which case, go for it. Uh, then I read Ready Player Two. That book actually has to be slightly good because uh, Gina read Ready Player One and hated it. Really? Hated it. Oh, yeah. I'm really oh, surprised. Yeah. I, I would have thought she enjoyed Ready Player One. No, no. It, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, we, we, we listened to the book on tape actually together and. Uh, uh yeah no her her critique of it my critique of it are actually very similar this has come up that i didn't like ready player one but i I haven't i haven't expressed my thoughts yet on that um and so but she started reading ready player two and she was hating on it at the beginning uh and but then like uh about halfway through she started talking about how they started addressing some stuff which was the exact problem she had with the original book and uh by the end while she was not singing its praises, she just kind of stopped talking smack on it. So it, it had to have started doing something right by the end. It, it it wasn't bad. It was like more of the same. But because I was expecting all of the 80s references and 90s references, it wasn't as much of a like surprise in terms of like, oh, hey, I, I, I'm really enjoying reminiscing about these these things that I used to do as a child. So I don't know. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just it's there. It's more of the same, but without a little bit of the magic. I mean, do we want to get into spoiler territory? Because I, I know what her critique of it was. We, she talked about it quite a bit. I, I think it needs a couple more months of release before we get into spoiler territory because it's a book. So people aren't necessarily going to be able to get to it right away. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll say this. There weren't any big surprises uh i do agree that uh with gina that some things that needed to be addressed from the first one got addressed in this 
But I don't know. It just it didn't feel as nostalgic because I was expecting it. You know, like the first one, I went into it blind. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know about any of the nostalgia stuff. And it was like a lovely trip through my memories. And this one was like, oh, we're here again. Okay. So then I read, uh, reread, I should say, because I read this 13 years ago when I, I got Apollo as a, pu- a puppy, um, The Art of Raising a Puppy. It's by the monks of New Skeet. So there's a monastery up in New York called the New Skeet Monastery. And these guys, these monks, they dedicate their life to raising puppies. Like they raise, they raise uh, German shepherds. And these are supposed to be like some of the most amazing dogs in the country. And these guys, you know, they live, breathe, and and reflect on their their dog knowledge all day long every day and so yeah i reread their book to prepare myself for leia and uh yeah i mean it's it's a lot of really good techniques for working with uh younger dogs and it's not treat based which i really appreciate because as a red bone she is very likely to be overweight if you don't if you're not careful so it it's uh it's all praise based it's all based on the way dogs communicate and the way dogs kind of sense and, and, and experience the world. I highly recommend it if you have a very young dog. They have another um, they have another book called The Art of Raising a Dog. Or no, not raising. It's The Art of the art of Training Your Dog, which I highly recommend once your dog gets uh, over seven, eight, nine months of, of age. Yeah, once once your dog gets a little bit older, Art of Training Your Dog is, is really good. Uh, again, just it's all praise-based, and it goes into the psychology of the way dogs communicate within a pack. And it's, uh, I don't know, I, I found it very helpful in my, my time with my dogs. All right, continue. What is Legionnaire? All right, so uh, Legionnaire, Galactic Outlaws, and Tin Man are all books in a new series that I started reading um, because I finished up The Expanse and the Axiom's End sequel's out, not out yet, and I'm out of books in the Expeditionary Force series. So randomly, um, thank you, Creepy Facebook, uh, for suggesting it to me. I saw an advertisement for the Galaxy's Edge series of books, and I started looking into it a little bit, and lo and behold, kind of seemed right up my alley. So I jumped into it, and there's two ways that you can read the Galaxy's Edge books, and there's quite a few of them now. The website for the series has a chronological order, which, I don't know, I don't need things in chronological order. Sometimes things are better out of chronological order, um, because they have a second way to read the books and that is the uh, maximum suspense version of it and so far we've been jumping around back and forth on the timeline but in very interesting ways so i'm really enjoying i i would recommend the maximum suspense timeline if you decide to get into these but yes the first book is legionnaire and it is kind of like a um space vietnam with the french foreign legion that's weird but there's kind of like an undercurrent of intrigue in that first book, which then when you when you get into Galactic Outlaws, you you see that intrigue kind of open up into a, a legitimately interesting storyline. Then you learn a little bit more in Tin Man, which is a side story in the whole thing, um, just kind of like a very short novella that um, sets up a lot of what happens in Galactic Outlaws and, and gives you an introspective look into one of the characters that you didn't think you'd care about, but you end up really enjoying. And then um, I started the the latest one just this morning because I finished up the others, um, Requiem for Medusa, uh, which starts going back into the past of one of the main characters from Galactic Outlaws. 
there's a very, very large overarching story. Um, you could read each of these as an individual book, but it's very clear that the writers have sat down and they have a very large uh, overarching story that, that traverses all of these novels. And I'm, I'm having a good time with it. That's cool. It's a series by Jason Onspach and Nick Cole. So yeah, that's my reading. I've been reading like crazy lately. Also, I've been re- uh, reading a book for work called Designing for Modern Learning, uh, Beyond Addie and Sam, which if you're in the learning and development industry is really genuinely interesting. And the rest of you, I'm sure, have now promptly fallen asleep, and I love you. I was listening to a podcast called The Good Friends of Jackson Elias, and they did a they did a five-part podcast series about Yellow King stuff. And uh, they recommended a book or a, a more of a novella uh, in a book called uh, Delta Green Dark Theaters, which is just, you know, a bunch of short stories about Delta Green agents. And the one they recommended is called Suicide Watch. And it was really good. Uh, it's about basically it's about a Delta Green squad that are investigating why teenagers uh, around the country are suddenly spontaneously combusting. And the thing that they all appear to have in common is a that's, that's problematic. Yeah. And the thing they all appear to have in common is a band that's like not at all Nirvana, which is to say it is it is it's totally Nirvana. Totally just, not Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's Nirvana with the numbers filed off. Yeah. I forget what the, the actual band's called in, in the book. But yeah, it's uh, basically um, the lead singer who I also forgot his name in the book, but totally not Kurt Cobain OD'd in Europe. And or and almost died and he was in the hospital. And so the touring company wanted to hire a bodyguard for him to make sure he stays out of trouble to uh, finish the concert tour because there's a lot of money on the line. And so the leader of the Delta Green team basically gets himself hired to be that bodyguard. And it's about him just kind of going around Europe following this guy who's not at all Kurt Cobain, whose music occasionally makes his teen fans spontaneously combust. It was it was it was very creepy, and it ends uh, it ends the way Kurt Cobain ends, and I will leave it at that. <laughs> That's not well. That's not well. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's bleak. It's a bleak story. I would highly recommend it. Uh, again, it's uh, it's in a, a short story collection called uh, Dark Theater Delta Green Dark Theaters by Pagan Publishing. So if you look it up on Drive Through Fiction. It's not under Arc Dream, it's under Pagan Publishing, because that's the the old company that used to make Delta Green stuff. All right. On that vein, I got a book from the library called The New Weird, um, which is a bunch of short stories from the literary genre. I had no idea existed until I realized I've been reading it this whole time. The New Weird, which is basically, you know, Delta Green and, you know, modern, basically modern weird fiction. So, like, you know kind of blurring the line between sci-fi and horror and you know a lot of cthulhu stuff falls into it when you set it in the modern day and i i start i basically start reading stories and if they don't grab me i kind of give up on them because i i just don't have patience to read things i don't care about but one of them stood out clive barker's in the hills the cities in the collection was really messed up and really weird and i i quite enjoyed it i would recommend that one I like Clive Barker a lot. Yeah, I've actually never read anything. Well, no, that's a lie. I've read The Hellbound Heart, but that was that was the only book of his I've ever read. So I was, it was intriguing. And last but not least, uh, I got in on the Iron Kingdom's fifth edition Kickstarter, and they sent out the preview copy of the Core Rule book, uh, which I went through and read. And we have had some interesting conversations about this because uh, you're you're a little down on it. <laughs> 
I'm not down on it per se. I just, I don't know. It feels like this takes it away from the miniatures game too much. And it just like, that's what it stops feeling like a companion piece of the miniatures game at that point. So my experience with the miniatures game is a little different because it started as a third edition series of adventures and whatnot. And then they made the miniatures game after that, after they produced like a, a lot of D and D books. So Um, the main reason I got it is I actually prefer their RPG system, but there is no way I'm going to play that on the internet. Like, yeah, no, it's impossible. Like it just doesn't work well. And I don't know when I'm going to get a group together again, but I really like the world. And so like having the ability to play a D and D version of the same world, which you can do a little bit more easily online, that, that is kind of what the appeal was for me because I can do the iron kingdoms, but not have to deal with their fiddly, 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 amazing system. God, that system's fiddly, but it's fun. It's so fun. Anyway, but it's good. It's it's a conversion of War Machine stuff into 5th edition, and it was done all right. I mean, probably above average, I would say. It wasn't anything, like, mind-blowingly good, but I, I can't think of anything that they really, really messed up on. So if you're interested in that world and you like the 5th edition D&D, I, I will give that a thumbs up. And if you're uh, if you're interested in the War Machine setting and you like 5th edition D&D, well, here you go. It's, it's the perfect... Uh, Chocolate for your peanut it butter. It is a great setting. I really enjoy the setting. Yeah. Well, and one of the things they did with it is uh, one of the complaints about 5th edition is once you get past a certain level, you get piles and piles of gold and don't really have a lot to spend it on, you know? And uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, buying and maintaining Warjacks, that's that's a pretty, pretty expensive endeavor. <laughs> so at least you get something to blow your money on as a uh, as a higher level character, which is fun. Yeah, part of me wants to get it just to have something else that I can do with my um, Widower's Wood and Undercity games. Yeah, they don't. They're they're talking about releasing either another book or a supplement that'll do the Horde stuff, but they haven't really said what their plan is. Although the Kickstarter made a ton of money, so they might release a full book. Just to I don't know. We will see what happens. But they smartly are trying to get the you know stuff they already have out the door before they start worrying about that which is probably smart. I hate that. I hate that when like a Kickstarter comes out, uh, 13th age did it. And a couple other things do it where, you know, it's like they kickstarted a, a, a game and it does really well. And then they kickstart like an expansion for the game before like the thing has come out yet. Yeah. That's not cool. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, I, well, sometimes it's a scam because, <laughs> uh, I know for Chaosium, uh, they basically ran out of money for their seventh edition call of Cthulhu Kickstarter. And so they did another one to pay, to finish paying for the first one, which is not a good business plan. Would not recommend because uh, that company almost went out of business for that one. And it got bought out by, uh, actually got bought out by another company. So there you go. Um, but yeah, just don't do that. <laughs> anyway, that's that's what I've been reading. So speaking of Delta Green, next on our list is RPGs. Yeah, so I, I don't want to dive, I don't want to dive too deep because we've, been talking about because this is a shared experience this is the perfect type of thing that we can deep dive yes um so let's not go too deep into it but um i will just say this compared to the the starter adventure that we started off with i this is this is exactly the kind of mystery i was looking for it's weird it's wonderful it's deep and i i do feel like we're chasing something and that that's exciting especially given my character like my character wants to chase like that's what they live for I don't know if we're going to talk about Delta Green. I, I, I guess we're not going to talk about Impossible Landscapes because I don't think we'd review the whole adventure because that would be really spoiler filled. But how? how are- yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it because I, I would say that so far this adventure has been awesome and I would highly recommend it. Yes, 
Oh, oh, it's uh, flipping through the the book. I can't wait to get the physical book. So they they do that thing like the Dracula dossier did. The entire campaign book, like the adventure, is uh, annotated by two of the characters that you can meet within it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really weird. So like, you know, like things will come up and they'll, you know, they'll underline it or circle it. And like one guy is ordering the other guy around too. So sometimes he'll say like, hey, go do this. And then, and then, you know, and then the other guy will come back later and, and check it off. But yeah, it, it's two of the characters you can run into. And it's interesting because um, if you pay attention to those annotations, it does give you more of a sense of like their headspace and where they're into. And yeah, it's, it's just so weird, Jonathan. It's such a weird adventure. How are we doing? Uh, you're doing okay. We're, we're, uh, I think, I think we'll be able to wrap up the part one of four next time. I think we might, it might be two, but I I think we could do it in one. I feel like we're doing okay. Like, I mean, it's, it's a four act play, Jonathan. So this is, this first act is setting up a lot of stuff. Oh, well, yeah, it feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then acts two and acts two and three are a little bit, are, are pretty, are pretty long. Actually, act two is going to be real long. And then three, it's the third and the fourth part are a little bit more streamlined and, and you know, cause it's kind of like the end it's the, the third and the fourth part are, are the climax. So it, it, it flows pretty fast. So when I initially read the, uh, this, I, I said it was interesting because I, I'm a little kind of like over Cthulhu cause it's kind of overplayed in my opinion, like, you know, squicky monsters and, and you're not wrong. Yeah, and there's so many board games, and oh, and you shouldn't you know, let that stop you from watching Lovecraft Country, which is amazing. I got so much to watch; it's on the list. It's on and the list. reading don't, it, which is also amazing. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I and if you like Lovecraft, like don't don't. I'm, I'm not hating. I'm I am just kind of over it. But what I really liked about this is it's got a really different vibe because uh, it's not cosmic horror. Um, uh, Dennis describes it as surreal horror. And there is a difference in that. There's a very different feel. And the difference is in like normal call of, well, the example he he gives in the book, which this isn't an encounter that, I mean, I, I guess I could put it in, but this isn't an encounter from the, the narrative. Um, the difference between surreal horror and cosmic horror is you're running around a building, the floor falls out from under you. Cosmic horror, there's some alien monstrosity that just likes to eat people down there with tentacles and and whatnot and eyeball and too many eyeballs and whatnot. Surreal horror is there's a tentacle monstrosity in the floor below you and all of the tentacles end in your mom's face. Now it's a party. Yeah. The idea is it's uh, the inspirations are like Jacob's ladder and the ninth configuration and the shining. Oh, this one totally so far has felt like the shining. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the scare of it is you can come to a door and you, if you open the door, literally anything could be on the other side of that. And that's the freaky part. And, uh, there's a really good podcast, uh, role-playing public radio, uh, like 180 something, uh, Dennis was on it and they were talking about impossible landscapes and it is spoiler town. So don't listen to it. If you're playing my game, cause Holy crap, they go into it. But he said the main, uh, another one of the differences between surreal horror and like cosmic horror is, you know, like the shining and all that, like surreal horror, like knows you, you know, it's not some faceless monstrosity. It's something that like worms its way into your character's head. And like, you know, and when you, when something happens, it's always like, well, that's how it's always supposed to have been, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely got a different vibe. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you. Cause yeah, that came up during play when you guys were running around, you, you guys started talking about the overlook and I'm like, Oh good. I'm, I'm getting the right, the right feel for this. Cause you guys are, are getting yeah, that, shiny that's vibes. What I'm pulling from it. I'm not pulling Cthulhu at all. This is definitely more of a, a creepy sort of thing. 
Have you had any generally creeped out moments or anything? Um, it's getting there. Like I, I'm, it's unsettling and definitely, you know, thinking about how I'm, how I'm, how I'm playing my character. Like my character is distinctly unsettled. Like this is way outside of the realm of what he's cool with. And he's cool with monsters. <laughs> like Good. the, 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 the opening scenario that we did, the, the creepy monster thing that popped out, like that didn't rattle him. That was just something that you could point a gun at and kill. Yeah. But this is is bothering him because my character is very like, you know, like the the, the way I built my character is that he is a, a, a hunter. And, and once he gets on a scent, he tracks things down. He's a hunter and a tracker. And for him, he can't let go of the scent, but he he's terrified of where it's going to take him because he's he's a bit like Captain Ahab once he's on a scent. Awesome. I like it. I like it. But he's he, it's terrifying because like he knows that he's getting into into a bad place and he knows <laughs> that nothing good will come of this, but he can't let go. Yeah, cool. He's got to see it through. Cool. Well, yeah, like I said, I think we'll be able to finish the first adventure act 1 of 4 uh next time. Maybe maybe it'll take 2. We'll see. I've been stressing about this. It, it, it's, it's so good, Jonathan. Like I'm like, I, 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 I've been stressing. I have not been able to run it accurately. Like just, I don't know. Like I've read, I've read a lot of game books and it's, it's really weird when you read one. That's just like, it's just brilliant. And, and it's, it's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted something that was very, very different. And this is so different. Anyway, spoilers, spoilers and whatnot. I don't know. Go read a uh, go read Suicide Watch. That's actually very much in the same vibe. If you want to, if you want to know more. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. Well, moving on to our our last or second to last segment. Today is day one hundred and twenty eight of my Ring Fit adventure. Aww. Yeah, yeah. So uh, last time we talked, I was talking about how I've almost beat the game. I have beat the game, and they have like a game plus which I'm working through. And, uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting into things cause, uh, I got like my core in shape and, and like, I can kind of see like my two packs sometimes, like if I suck in my gut, like there's, there's definition there. And I, I've never actually had that happen in my life. So I went out and I bought some, uh, arm and leg weights and, uh, to get a little bit more resistance. Cause, uh, one complaint of the ring fit and it's true when you up the difficulty, it just ups reps and, you know, some exercises like upping the reps is, is fine, but it doesn't do a whole lot, you know, like, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. So yeah, I've been, I've been doing the, the arm and the leg rates and, you know, getting a little bit more defined and it's, it's making me feel good. I enjoy it. Well, there you go. And that's, that's what it should be about. If you're feeling good, then you're feeling good. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish they'd make a sequel. Cause like the, the game plus given time, it's not that old, is it? No, no, it came out like last year, the, the end of last year, like November. But yeah, I, I just wish there, cause like there's no story. And like one of the things that kept me going was just wanting to know the, the, as bad as the story was, it, it, it was at least something, but this game plus it, it does take place after the story, after, you know, the bad guy's been defeated and everybody has like a kumbaya moment. And it's just, the dialogue's kind of weird because of that, but it's, it's not, <clears throat> I'm just not as engaged unfortunately because like the the game progression ended you're just sort of do, going through the motions and whatnot yeah i just wish there was plot and new stuff i guess well, give them time right because it, it, it's not that old is it 
No, no. And they've been adding stuff via DLC, but yeah, I just wish there was an expansion. Just a, just something more to progress through. Uh, continuing to play COD. I don't know. My love affair with it's starting to go. Like, I don't agree with some of the decisions they've made in terms of multiplayer balancing. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. Might be coming to an end with it. Uh, and then because Game Pass is awesome, there's a bunch of games on there that I wouldn't normally get a chance to play. And so I've been playing a lot of Wreckfest. In fact, I just beat it uh, yesterday. I haven't and heard of this. Uh, what is Wreckfest? Do you remember the old Destruction Derby games on PlayStation yeah. 1? Yeah, yeah. This is the spiritual successor to Destruction Derby. It's hmm. even got like the figure eight tracks and stuff like that. It's awesome. It's just, it's so much fun. And it's a physics-based racing game with just tons of destruction. And yeah, it's just a good time. I don't know how else to put it other than to say it's just a good time. Uh, And then also because uh, Game Pass is fun, Outriders uh, just came out. And so I've been playing Outriders on Game Pass. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some... It's a looter shooter, right? You, you, You cruise around and you shoot a bunch of dudes and then you get loot and progress right in that respect it's just kind of fun because there's always a better gun around the corner and you're super mobile which i really really enjoy um so i just i'm not sure if it has legs or not it, I, this is one where i'll have to check back once I've, I've had more time with it but my initial impressions are the demo that you can download is the beginning of the game essentially and it's not representative of what the rest of the game is like which is a pity because I think that the deeper game is better. All right. Well, I got a PlayStation 5, Jonathan. Sadly, I still have yet to be able to secure one. It's uh, it's weird. It's not doesn't feel like a new console. It feels like an upgrade, which is weird because I've been I've been mostly playing my old PS4 games on it. Uh, but it comes with a, uh, a collection of games. And one of them was uh, Control, which uh, got, gets upgraded to the PS5 version of Control, which that game... It's kooky fun. I'm I'm playing that too. It's super neat. Yeah, yeah. That that's how I got hooked into the new weird because uh, you know because it, it felt very Delta Greeny. You know, there's a government agency and you're you know killing weird things, and uh, the hiss the hiss are the bad guys, which is a red light and sound. You know, evil red light and sound. <laughs> I I I was really enjoying it. Like I I, lo- I every time I play, I have to like remind myself to stop early because I got to stop and read all the lore that you pick up as you go through. Because <laughs> yeah, it's just, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's just so good. Yeah, I I was very much impressed. How far are you in it? Like I, I beat the main game. I I'm I'm on the last encounter on one of the DLCs, and I'm getting my my butt handed to me. So I think I need to go. I, I don't know I'm, what. Uh, six levels in what's the last thing you did oh geez i don't know it's in chapter six okay what superpowers do you have uh i've got the toss i've got the toss is fun the toss is great man the toss the toss is super great um oh god i'd have to boot it up it's been like two weeks since i played it Uh, okay which is not at all an indictment on the game i really really enjoy it just a, a buddy of mine's been around and so we've been playing a lot of multiplayer games well anyway highly recommend uh if you like a good action game uh yes and it's got really deep lore which is also quite fun and you get superpowers you eventually fly it's fun Remedy makes some cool stuff man yeah you know a lot of it's not on the the playstation which sucks like alan wake and all that came out on the uh, xbox that was a microsoft exclusive yeah, and I want to play it because um, they they bought back the rights to Alan Wake, and so there's references in in it to Control. Um, yeah, there's all kinds of references in there. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, and what, well, one of the DLCs is actually like a straight crossover, and I kind of wanted to play it because I'm really enjoying like the world and whatnot. But yeah, you can't. It's just unless they port it because they own it again. Uh, yeah, you can only play it on the Xbox, which kind of sucks. I wish they would fix that. <laughs> uh, also in Game Pass is Deep Rock Galactic, which is this fun little co-op um, first-person dwarf mining shooter in space. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. It's a kooky little game, and it's super, super fun to play with other people. So that's it's, it's all about the, the multiplayer experience there. And then I got on PC, um, I, my buddy and I were looking for an experience very similar to um, the original Rainbow Six games and the original um, Ghost Recon games. If you recall, they were distinctly tactical simulations. Mm-hmm. And because Facebook is creepy and always listening to you, somehow... Uh, I had this conversation and I started seeing advertisements for this game uh, called Ground Branch. And so I downloaded Ground Branch and it was relatively inexpensive and ended up being exactly what we were looking for. It's a a hyper semi tactical game. And so my buddy and I have been playing a ton of that. Um, And then I got in on the, the early access to Second Extinction, which is a uh, co-op shooter uh, open world shooter with dinosaurs and it is kooky and fun and i'm really enjoying that <laughs> nice well speaking of the uh the playstation collection uh i downloaded god of war the uh the reboot or whatever never played any of the god of wars but this one with uh, uh kratos and his son the boy is uh quite good quite good boy boy yeah uh. boy <laughs> Boy. So I was recommended a game on PC. It's called Hong Kong Massacre. Imagine a top-down John Woo movie with slick Robotron-style controls. It is so much fun. I'm loving it. It was like 10 bucks on Steam. So worth every penny. What's it called again? The Hong Kong Massacre. I'll take a look at that. <laughs> Watch the YouTube videos of it. It's super fun, man. And then I see World War Z. Yeah, um, so uh, I've, I've played this before, and it's a really fun co-op experience. And so um, because a buddy of mine's been available more lately, we've started playing through it again. And it's, yeah, it's everything that I remember. It's a super solid third-person co-op game, and it's so much fun. And when those big, giant, like, tidal waves of zombies come at you, it's super neat. <laughs> You know what game I've had my eye on? What's that? Uh, the the studio that did a couple of the uh, the Left 4 Dead games. They're making a... Totally oh, yeah. Not- yeah, totally looking forward to that, too. If I had something to play it with, but you, you, you'll you probably play it on the X-Bone. And it's not cross-server, because everybody hates us. Well, I mean, if I can get a PS5, I'll buy it for the PlayStation. Hmm. Help me. Help me get a PS5. Yeah. I've, been, I've been trying. I they, they every, it, Yeah, it's been a lot of morning stuff lately. I loved Left 4 Dead. And then I bought Left 4 Dead 2 and me and my buddies played through the main campaign once and then we just never played it again. <laughs> yeah, that that game came out too close to the original. I feel like it died on the vine a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we were still playing the first one pretty pretty hard and then the second one came out and I think that was like right, right when we hit our like, oh, and we're good. We, <laughs> we're, we're, we don't need any more. We're fine. Ah, 
can't wait for Back for Blood. All right, so Jonathan, my final game. I ran it from the library. I got Yakuza Like a Dragon. So I have access to all the Yakuza games on Game Pass right now, and I have not yet do- dove into one. Oh, okay, okay. So as far as I know, Yakuza Like a Dragon is essentially, in Japan, it's just called straight Yakuza 7 because it's actually not called Yakuza in Japan. It's called Like a Dragon. <laughs> so it's Like a Dragon 7, I guess. But this one is a good entry point because it's a reboot of the series. Um, like the first games happened, but this is about a new character. And the guy from the original series of games, he's around, but he's not a protagonist. Like you don't, you don't actually ever get him. So this game is goofy. I have described it as like a Quentin Tarantino S crime thriller and then apply JRPG combat to it. Oh, that's crazy. Which, which one is this again? It's Yakuza like a dragon. So they, they don't call it Yakuza seven out here because again, it's, very different. Uh, the other ones are more like brawlers, you know, like action brawlers. And this one, this one is a JRPG, like turn-based combat all the way. And uh, the gimmick for why it is that way is the main guy whose name is uh, uh, Ichiban. He really likes Dragon Quest games. And so when he gets in fights, he thinks of himself as the hero of a Dragon Quest game. And so basically you're just seeing his street brawling through the eyes of a crazy dragon quest fan. And and this is Yakuza zero. You said, no, this is Yakuza like a dragon, like a dragon. All right, let me see here. I got Yakuza zero remastered three, four, five, six. Good Lord. There's a lot of these. Yeah. There's zero through six. Kiwami, Kiwami two. Shoot. I don't see like a dragon. in here. Yeah. This one just came out. So I don't think it'd be on game pass. Ah, that's rough. It's it's good fun. It's it's a really weird game. I mean, do you play Zero first? No, Zero's like the Star Wars prequels. You play it. You, you play them in the order in which they were released. I've always been fascinated by these games, but I just don't know. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I would recommend Like a Dragon because it's again, it's a reboot and it's goofy, and I love it. And it's got it's it's had some problematic stuff, uh, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's just such a weird game. And w- when I say like he sees his life as a JRPG, like literally like there's this part where you find like a bat that's in the ground and like n- none of your other party members can pull it out and then you do and he's like, "Oh, this is I'm a hero and this must be like my holy sword." And it's just a bat with barbed wire on it. <laughs> <laughs> And then I got to this point where uh, when you get into street brawls, uh, he starts seeing the bad guys transform into like more I don't know dragon questy versions of themselves so it's typically they get bigger sometimes their eyes glow occasionally like uh there's there's this like gang of mean hobos that i because he my spoiler alert my guy my guy became homeless at one point in the story and so there's these these kind of group of of uh homeless people that are not nice to your group of homeless people and when he started fighting them all of a sudden they started like using trash can lids as shields and having like brooms as swords it's just so weird jonathan it's such a bizarre game (laughs) I have to give it a shot. And then, uh, oh, and then the the healer. So one of the guys you get is is, a, is your healer. He's like a buffer debuffer. And the way he debuffs uh, people is he uh, he just breathes his nasty like breath on them. Oh come on! So he just goes, Aah! and then this like green cloud comes out of his mouth, and, and like the guys go, and they start choking. And uh, the way he he has a, a really good self heal, and his self heal is he just crashes on the ground and takes a power nap. 
<laughs> it's so bizarre. He does fire breath. He'll drink some hooch and then spit fire with it. And that's actually a pretty strong attack of his. It's 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 such a bizarre game, Jonathan. And right now, I, yeah, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's good. <laughs> I, I It's waiting for me at the library. I rented it again. And uh, yeah, hopefully I can hopefully I can beat it like this. Luckily, not too many people have PS5s, Jonathan, so I'm not competing on the PS5 games too hard. There appear to only be about three or four of us in the area. So, yes. <laughs> uh, I did want to bring one other thing up. Um, I recently uh, replaced my office chair, and I do want to talk about the office chair that I had because it was only 18 months old and it just completely fell apart on me. So, if you are looking for a chair, do not be... Uh, persuaded by the sweet sweet price point of the gt racing chair it does not hold up i i bought a gt racing chair about 18 months ago um and i was really excited because when i started working from home because of the pandemic i was like oh i've got this comfy chair it'll be great it just started falling apart on me the pneumatic cylinder gave out um the uh lean back gave out everything just started getting squeaky and really loose and there was just no way to tighten it up the upholstery split, all this other stuff. So with everything giving out, I decided to get a replacement chair. And this time I decided to get the chair that I had originally um, priced out. But then I was, you know, like, oh, look at at this one. This was only 230 bucks. And the other one I want is $400. So I got a secret lab chair. Wow. Night and day. This chair is so sweet. It is so comfortable. Um, and most importantly, it's really well built. Like even when you're putting it together, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I see where the money goes now. You really are getting what you pay for there. Like there's a distinct jump in quality. So that is of course time for our year in the life segment. Uh, we will not be doing some of our normal segments in, uh, in, in today's episode, but we are going to do year in life because we have a few that we need to talk about. So, Forgot My Dice, episode 81, Extra Dad Talk. 82, the only Kickstarter that smolders. 83, a loose cannon. And 84, the most useless fashion accessory ever. Jonathan, we talked about Root with Ray. Passion de las Passiones. Flame, Flamme Rouge. And Starcadia Quest. A lot of good games in that stack. I know. Well, you and I just played Root recently, and we talked about that in Off the Shelf, which is awesome. Yes, uh, it, it, I think it held up pretty well, uh, based on the, the review that Ray gave us, to be honest with you. Yeah. Agreed. Well, you know, I, God, I want to play Pasión de las Pasiones so bad. I haven't gotten it yet. I'm still waiting. Uh, when that happens, we're in, we're in, we're, we're pausing Delta Green. <laughs> no, we're not. No, I want to finish Yes, we are. No, yes, no, we are. No, I, I have had Make all my it gaming. meta. It's on the TV. I've had it on my gaming bucket list to run one of the giant Call of Cthulhu books in sometime in my life. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get this done. We can play Passion of the Passions later. Uh, I will say this. Uh, somebody on that podcast I mentioned uh, told Dennis that they are using uh, Passion de las Passiones to play Delta Green. And he had a very good chuckle about that. <laughs> He's like, what's that? I've never heard of it. It's like it's an RPG that emulates telenovelas. And he just like he just lost it. He's like, ah! He's just cackling. He's like, that's so good. (laughs) God, now he's got my heart. Now he's got my heart. (laughs) Dennis is a cool dude. He gets a little negative on Twitter sometimes. He gets a little depressed. But other than that, I I turned him off for a while because, yes, late in the last term of 45, he was I I was just like, you know, I I don't need this on Twitter, too. I'm, I'm paying attention to it too much as is. 
but now that that's not a problem anymore, I, I, I resubscribed and things are much better. Although he seems to rub it in a lot that he moved to Canada. He moved to Vancouver Island, actually, Jonathan. Oh, he's breaking my heart now because that's yeah. where I want to go. Yeah, and uh, apparently they were going to run another Delta Green Kickstarter at some point, but they had to pause it because the uh, one of the other guys who works with them, Shane Levy, he moved up to the island with them. So they're getting settled in right now there, too. Uh, maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> I wish it were today. But we've played Flamme Rouge a couple times. on. Uh, yes, we have. We've played Flamme Rouge, and I've played it... Uh, uh, live here as well. Um, Carlos actually really likes that game. He and I really got into it, and we've had some really good good fights. And he got a little frustrated about it once because he he uh, you know got his rear end handed to him. But then we looked at it, and I kind of walked through it with him and said, "Look, this is this is where you went wrong, and this is why you went wrong." And when once we kind of disassembled it and took it apart, he's like, "Oh!" And then ever since then, man, he's a, he's a, he's a beast on that game. What about Starcadia Quest? Have you have you picked that one up again? I wish I could say that I had. It's sitting here on my shelf, and I really, really, really want to. It's just, uh, you know, it, it's that's a game that I have a very specific group of people that I really, really want to play it with because I know that they're not going to get frustrated or upset with each other if we take each other out because it's such a, you know, take each other out kind of game. And I just, thank you, COVID. I haven't had a chance to get together with them. Well, that brings us to the end of many year-in-the-life segments. So uh, next up, we will be back after a short break, and we will be deep-diving into Undaunted Normandy. And until then, enjoy this short but sweet break. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our deep dive. And today we will be deep diving Undaunted Normandy. Undaunted Normandy is a deck-building game that places you and your opponent in command of American or German forces fighting through a series of missions critical to the outcome of World War II. Use your cards to seize the initiative, boister your forces, or control your troops on the battlefield. Strong leadership can turn the tide of battle in your favor, but reckless decisions could prove catastrophic, as every casualty you take removes a card from your deck. Take charge amidst the chaos of battle, Hold fast in the face of opposition and remain undaunted. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> All right. So based on the copy, we already know this is a card game. So tell me, how do you flip them cards? All right. So let's talk about uh, the, the basics of what you get. You crack open the box. You're going to have a stack of tiles. You're going to have a stack of um, tokens of various sorts uh and you're gonna have a, to- a stack of tokens that represent the units on the field because what we're dealing with here is a top-down um tactics game and it's a tactics game that it uses a heavy card element so the first thing that we're gonna do uh and this is one of the things i really really enjoy about this game is you're gonna choose this scenario and that scenario um with within the scenarios that are included in the game you get a lot of variation and one of the neatest things that you can do is you can actually play the scenarios one after another, um, telling a narrative of the invasion of Normandy, which is really, really awesome. 
In fact, there are some... Um, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm looking at this. There's miniatures? No, there are not miniatures. Oh, somebody made little, miniatures. Little, uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could use any generic World War II guys. You could even play this with the army guys if you wanted to. Oh, that's totally what they are. He made miniatures out of army men. That's cute. <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, yeah, you can string multiple scenarios together into a campaign, and um, you could even do all 12 of them that come together into one long campaign. And there's a, a concept called heroic contribution that um, there's, there's no gameplay aspect per se, but there's it, it adds a lot of flavor to the game, lets you kind of tell a story of, of these characters, because every character in the game has a name, which is kind of neat. Even like the basic uh, infantrymen. So... The first thing you're going to do, of course, assuming that we're not playing through a campaign, is just playing one scenario, is you're going to choose a scenario. And the, the scenario is going to lay out a bunch of stuff. It's going to tell you specifically what what tiles to use to formulate the, the battleground. And that will represent all of the farms and the hedgerows and all the kind of classic World War II um, in Europe uh, aspects that you see. Then it will tell you to um, place all those out in the, the order that they're displayed in the book. You're going to put together all your objective markers. Your objective markers are going to have a wide variety of different functions uh, based on the scenario that you choose. Um, we'll talk about the first scenario because that's the one that I've played the most. Uh, in the first scenario, the objective markers are basically areas that you need to hold, and the allies are trying to hold five of those objective markers at the end of a turn to win their um, to to win that particular scenario, and the Germans are trying to stop them from doing that. Um, you're going to play a uh, radio marker if you have one. Uh, that is something that is specific to one of the scenarios in the starter book, but there are some expansions that utilize it as well. You are going to choose a, sli- uh, a side, and once you've chosen your side, you're going to place all your tokens, and generally speaking, the starting uh, area for all of your uh, soldiers will be mapped out in the scenario, although there are a couple scenarios that give you a little bit of flexibility. And then you're going to take the initiative. Uh, You're going to give the initiative marker to the side that's indicated in the scenario book. And that can really highly depend on on which one you're you're playing as. Next, you're going to assemble your deck. And this is where we first get into the cards. So when you assemble your decks, uh, the reason that it's plural is because you have the the deck that you have um, when you begin. And then you uh, you have this concept of the supply. And the supply is basically the units that you have in reserve. Kind of makes sense so far? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Okay, so when you um, when you look at any given scenario, uh, you will see a long list of all the different cards that are in the game, and it'll tell you um, a combination of Ds and Ss. The Ds go directly into your deck. That's that's the uh, what you'll be drawing off of at the very beginning of the game. And the Ss um, form individual piles uh, of your supply. And what's interesting about this is that your supply is public knowledge. So you have to arrange the cards in such a way that you can tell exactly how many of any given unit are remaining. There's also cards called Fog of War, and the Fog of War cards are basically noisy cards. They're cards that get into your deck, they muck things up, they don't do anything, and um, they're just they're, they're an obstacle that you have to overcome. Now, there's, there's several different units in the game, uh, and some of the units are further subdivided into specific squads. So, um, for instance, there's platoon sergeants and there are um, 
squad leaders and platoon guides. And these are individual units, some of which don't even go into a traditional kind of play. They don't even have a representative token on the board. They are more your command structure, and therefore they are making actions that, um, and we'll talk about the actions more in, in, in a little bit, but their actions are more like um, trying to keep people's morale up and trying to uh, get people to do more with their turn than they normally would be able to. And then, of course, there's the the ground pounders. So you have your riflemen, your scouts, your machine gunners, etc. And sometimes they'll even be broken down into an individual squad. Like you might have squad A, which will consist of a squad leader, five riflemen, and a machine gunner. That's, uh, you know, again, going to be highly dependent on the specific scenario. So once you have your two decks all built up, you're going to return anything else that you, you haven't used yet back to the box, and then you're going to run this self-contained scenario. So in scenario one, for instance, the allies all start near the top of the map, and there are these objective markers all scattered around, and um, you're going to need to spread them out and try and hold up to five of those things at the same time at the end of a, a, a turn. The Germans all start, again, all con- kind of condensed on the opposite side of the map, and they are going to be they're going to tr- be trying to do um, tactics and movement that prevent the allies from being able to hold any given um, any given objective at the end of any given turn uh, in the hopes that they can hold them off from securing everything that they need long enough to whittle them down. So now we're ready to play and we'll jump into play and play is basically three distinct um, phases in phase one. Uh, both sides are going to draw cards. You're going to have four cards uh, in your hand to, to form that hand and you will be creating a discard pile as you play and the discard pile if you run out of cards to draw from, is shuffled and, and returned. You're then going to determine initiative. So you've got these four cards in your hand, right? When we look at a card, there's several different pieces of information on it. The first one that you'll see in the upper left-hand corner is called your initiative number. And so everybody's going to have a different number up there. And at, during the initiative round, each player chooses one card, places it down, and you reveal them simultaneously, and the person with the highest number gets the initiative. Uh, if you have a tie for any reason, the person that last had the initiative keeps it. The, this is the first part of the puzzle, right? You've got to figure out, do you want to hold the initiative? And are you willing to sacrifice a, a potentially important person to get a really good initiative? Well, sacrifice is a little bit of a strong word because they go into the discard pile and you get to play them again. But you know what I mean. I get right? what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the second piece of information you're going to see on your card is the type of unit that they are. And... Um, all the cards have uh, some beautiful, unique art. It's a really neat art style that they use. Yeah, it's kind of like line drawing with, it looks like watercolors, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It's really quite pretty, I think. I think It's very respectful as well, I might add. Yeah, yeah. All the soldiers, you'll notice, also have names, which is kind of neat. And that, that kind of plays into that telling a story aspect of the Oh, uh, yeah, the, yeah. It's right above their name. Or what? right yeah. above their unit type, I should say. Uh, and then beneath that, you will see the actions that each individual card can take. Um, so the, the, we'll talk about actions a little more in just a moment. Once you have initiated, um, or once you've determined the initiative, the player with initiative will then take their turn. And their turn is going to consist of as many actions as they can take in any given turn. They can end their turn at any time. They don't even have to take actions if they want to hold on to a card. Um, and there's a couple things to kind of take into account. Uh, the first is if you have a fog of war card, it's trash and you're not going to be able to do anything with it. And it has an initiative of one. So, you know, you're, you're going to want to focus on getting rid of it if you can. The actions 
are uh, where things start to get interesting. And every card is going to have a unique set of actions attributed with So there's two cards here on the picture I'm looking at. And I'm seeing a machine gunner. It looks like there's a scout underneath him. Because uh, he has scout and I'm guessing recon. <laughs> because he's on the bottom. I can't quite tell. And then the machine gunner is move, suppress, and attack. So let's talk about the, these different actions that you're seeing. So the first action is move. That's pretty standard. Um, when you move, there'll be a number next to it, and that means that you can move that many tiles um, from one tile to the next um, as long as they have been scouted um, or controlled by your side. So let's talk about scout. That allows you to uh, move move that unit's combat up to X number of tiles, just like the move standard move. But when you do, you put these little scout markers down, uh, and for each control marker, or pardon me, these little markers are called control markers, and these markers, once you place them, force you to take a Fog of War card. So you are spreading your scouts out, and you're basically spreading your influence on the board, but the downside is that you are being forced to take some Fog of War, which is going to clutter up your deck. What are the scouting? Oh, are these these binoculars I'm seeing on the board? Yeah, those are the binoculars. That That, that is the scouting tile. And one one are white and one are blue from what I'm seeing. Exactly. The blue ones belong to the Germans, the white ones, and the green ones belong to the uh, uh, allied forces. Now, then there's also the guide aspect. Uh, if you guide, again, just like move and scout, there's a number associated with it, and that lets you move uh, up to that many tiles. The tile has to be scouted or controlled by your side. Uh, and the difference between the, the, the move and the guide is that when you move, you're moving the specific unit. So um, generally, like, you could have, uh, say, Rifleman Squad A, and you'll have to move the, the Rifleman Squad A marker on the board. Make sense? Yeah. When you guide, you're allowed to move any unit because the guide is going to basically be, um, you know, orders being given by one person to another person. Make sense? Yes. And then finally, you'll see that there's a stock action, and stock lets you move the combat um move a a combat unit up to that many tiles, but you do not need to have scouted it or have it under your control to move somebody that is stalking. And generally you'll see stalking as a a sniper action. Yeah, makes sense. So those are your basic movement actions. Then you have your support actions and support actions are, are going to be basically supporting the guys down on the, um, down in the trenches with some different actions. Bolstering, We'll have a number associated with it, and sometimes we'll even have a specific squad associated with it, and that lets you take cards from your supply and add them to your discard pile, essentially giving you more options and more combat and more units uh, into your deck. Make sense? Makes sense. Okay, command uh, lets you draw extra cards from your deck and add them to your hand, and because there's no limit to the number of actions that you can take in a given turn, that command becomes important because it lets you stretch your turn out and get more done. Conceal lets you take a Fog of War card from your opponent's supply and place it into their discard pile, essentially cluttering their deck more. <laughs> Controlling lets you take those scout markers that you've placed down by scouting and flip them so that they you are now controlling that area. And there's a distinction between what you've scouted and what you control, and that can sometimes be important for uh, objectives. For instance, in the first scenario, you're trying to control five different objective points. So first you have to scout it, then you have to control it. How do you control it again? You have to scout it first, right. putting down the scout marker, and then you use the control support action oh. to flip that marker from scout to control. 
Okay, so it's not you, it's not just you being there. You actually have to do something with a unit. Interesting. Okay, exactly. It's a, think, think of it as like fortifying an area. Question: Just because I'm seeing this and I'm, I'm wondering, uh, there's these little tokens. They look like flags. I would say with like one. Those are um, those are objectives within a given scenario. Okay, that's what I figured. Okay, just making sure. So the 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 control tokens start out as binoculars on one side, and then if you flip them over, it's the the control, and it's just your your symbol. So like for the Americans, it's the classic army star. Ah, uh, I see those. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 You have the inspire action. Uh, again, this will have a number associated with it, and sometimes we'll have a specific squad with it, uh, and that lets you take cards from your play area and add them directly to your hand, which is really awesome. So that means that you are able to, to play these cards again and because they're coming from your play area that means that you can take them out of your discard pile which is dope there is um the, the concept behind that is like hey your your commanding officer has given you this big inspirational speech so now you're going to get to take two two actions because you're you're so inspired by it um there's a recon action that lets you take a fog of war card from your hand and remove it from the game completely and there's a target action that lets you, with certain units like the mortar, uh, move around a, a targeting reticle that will then um, be utilized in, in combat for that specific unit. And then finally, there are combat actions. And the combat actions um, are, are pretty straightforward, just like everything else. You have the ability to attack, suppress, and blast. And there will always be a number associated with it telling you how many of those that you can do. So when you attack or suppress... What you do is you choose a target for that action. Um, so for an attack or suppress, it's going to be an enemy combat counter that's on the on the board. And for a blast action, that's like the mortar firing off. Yeah. It has to be where your marker is targeted. Okay. You're going to determine their total defense. So base defense is going to be printed on the combat counter for that particular unit. So for instance, if I'm shooting at a German sniper, the sniper... Uh, combat token has a number of six in the shield at the bottom of the token so the that person is well concealed they're a single unit they're hard to hit right they're, they're starting with a six then you're going to give them a cover bonus and that is the value that's printed on the bottom of the tile that that particular counter is sitting on oh that's what those little things are yeah there's like zeros yes. and well there's all zeros in the pictures i'm looking at but yeah. so Let's say that the... Oh, but um, this forest right here is a three. I get it. Yeah, get let's it. say that the sniper is in, in, in a forest. So now you've got six plus three. And then on top of that, range is important. So range is the number of tiles away from the attacking combat uh, counter that the defender is. So let's say you are in the very next tile next to the forest, but you're not in the forest. So that means you're six plus three plus one. That means that that has a cover of 10. It's a pretty good cover. Yeah. Then you're going to roll the attack dice. You're going to roll the, the number of dice equal to the value of the attack, suppress, or blast action. So if it says attack two, you're going to roll two dice. Now, if any of the dice show a number equal to or greater than the defender's total defense value, the attack is going to be considered successful. And the game comes with four D10s for you to roll, two, two for each side. Ah, uh, okay. So is it possible to get your cover above 10? I'm not going to say it's impossible. I, I I can't think of a time that I've done it. The closest I've gotten... Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because, look, if you've got a sniper in the forest, that's automatic 9. So if you're not right on top of them, you're at 10 even with one one square side. So, yeah. 
And if it's above 10, you just can't hit them. It's not like you can roll it. If you roll a dice with a zero, it's always successful, no matter how much uh, their defense is. So, yeah, it's still worth a shot. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it has critting, basically. Yeah. So, how many dice have successes is not important. If there's one success, you do a hit. Then you determine your casualties. So, if the attack's successful you've basically inflicted a casualty on that particular unit. So you, your, your opponent is going to have to find the card from that uh, attacked combat counters unit and remove it from the game. So if possible, the first place they're going to remove it from is their hand. Now, if the card is not in their hand, then they are going to have to look through the discard pile. And remember some squads will maybe have multiple of the same unit, depending on how you've bolstered your forces. So uh, the first place you look is the hand. The second place you look is the discard pile. And then and only then, if you haven't found any of that unit, you have to go back into their deck and take it from there. Uh, And that leaves the game permanently for that scenario. If you do take it from the deck, by the way, you have to shuffle. So keep that in mind. Now, if they don't have a card of that unit at all left in either their hand, their discard pile, or their deck, that means you've killed the last of that unit and that counter now gets removed from the board permanently. They're, They're gone, completely wiped out. Oh, okay. So each card is like their hit points. Exactly. That exactly. makes sense. And then as the unit gets plucked away, they can't do as much. Exactly. You're 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 running out of actions because you're running out of guys. That that's it's really cute. clever, right? Yeah, it's cute. I like it. Now, there's also the concept of terrain. Um, sometimes you'll see two numbers in shields at the bottom, uh, one in black and one in kind of like a olive drab, and those numbers represent hills. So, um. Basically, if one person is on a hill and somebody else is not on a hill, they get the higher value, uh, which will be like generally you'll see three and a one. So if your character is on a hill and the other character that's shooting at you is not, then you get cover three. If they are on a hill as well, basically making them even with you, you get the lower number, which is the cover one. Make sense? (laughs) Don't do it, Anakin. I have the high ground. <laughs> so many memes. <laughs> and that's that. That's it. It goes just goes back and forth at that point. Cute. Okay. Now, the, the big thing to keep in mind here is every single one of these scenarios is highly tuned and very individual. And so each scenario is going to play out very differently. And you have to... You really, really have to think from an action economy perspective, and you have to be very, very, very careful about your command cards getting taken out of the game, because then you can't bolster your forces if you don't have anybody to call them in. And that's that's the basics of Undaunted. Question. Uh, so the the person who has the fun army men counters on this, which is super sweet, uh, they also have actual physical houses on the board. Is there a reason for that, or is that just fun? I think that's just fun. There's There's... Okay. there's the, the cover is completely 100% determined by the number on the bottom of the tile. But if you're going to make 3D guys, you might as well have 3D terrain too, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah actually, looking at this picture, the, the forest tile, they have a little forest on it too. So that's super cute. So, Jonathan, how's the rulebook do explaining all this? The rulebook's phenomenal. Very straightforward, very well written, and it breaks it down in the exact same order that I just gave it to you. Wow, enough said. Okay. Like, it, I... I this is one of those times where I didn't have to play anything um, to understand the game. Because, you know, sometimes you'll read a rule book and you're like, ah, I kind of get it, but then it doesn't really click until you start playing it. 
Yeah, yeah. This one, it just it it's it's beautifully written in a very easy uh, style, and you it all clicks before you even hit the table. Uh, does it have an index or uh, table of contents? There is neither an index nor table of contents, but there is a quick reference at the back that once you've read through the uh, instructions once, honestly, has everything you need in a one pager. I mean, basically what the instruction book is doing more than any other thing is teaching you the iconography and teaching you what the numbers mean. And once you have those basics, the reminders on the one pager give you everything you need. So we talked about it a little bit, but the uh, I've, I've been I've been looking at the pretty pictures. Yeah, the art's pretty good. It looks yeah, that definitely looks like watercolor. It's, it's like I said, it's 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 very respectful of the um, <laughs> the fog of war book or card is amazing. Yeah, isn't it great? <laughs> it's just a guy who's like not colored in. That's funny. I like there's it. an expansion coming out soon too, the reinforcements expansion, which I really want to get. And there's a sequel called North Africa now, and and I've had such a good time with Normandy that I really want to get the North Africa. Yeah, yeah. Because it's that. got different units and different terrain. And, and Does it have tanks? I don't know. I haven't looked yet. I'm hoping. All right. Um, anything off with the execution of this game? You're looking up if there's tanks, aren't you? Yeah, sure the hell I am. Yes, there are. I'm seeing tanks. Ah, oh, yes. Yes, there are. Now I, really, I, want, <laughs> I want it even worse. It took me forever to get a copy of this game, Robert. I actually first played this game uh, probably about a year ago now. And it's taken me that entire year to find a copy. And now that I've had, I have this copy, I have played this game relentlessly. I got it, what, two weeks ago, right? I think I sent you a picture? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember. It's been a uh, long couple of weeks, sir. Yeah, you're not kidding, brother. You are not kidding. But yeah, ever since I got the game, like I've been playing it relentlessly. And I am enjoying the living daylights out of it. Absolutely okay. loving it. So is it only for two players or do they have an auto automat whatever? I can't say that word right now. Uh, yes, it is only a two player game. There is no one player mode in it. Uh, unfortunately, I would love it if somebody came up with a one player mode for it. That could actually be absolutely fascinating. That was quick and easy. So, Jonathan, tell me one last thing about this game. If you're looking for a game that is highly approachable, light on componentry, but still gives you that absolute tactical feeling that a miniatures game would give you this is your one-stop shop it's very difficult to describe just how deep this game is until you you have an opportunity to play it because on the surface you're looking at it and you're like oh it's just like a deck builder but kind of not really and you're moving some stuff on a map the tactics come in as you're starting to really kind of determine what the best angle of attack is how to spread your units out and and when to use things like bolstering and when to use things like um you know removing fog of war cards from your deck there is an unbelievable level of strategy at play in this game so much more than you could have ever imagined just looking at the list of components or pictures of it the strategy in this game is is infinitely deep and it does such a good job of capturing the the feel of of World War II. Uh, it's I'm just shocked. Like the more I play it, the more in love with it I become. It's it also plays extremely quickly. It's it's less than five minutes to set up, uh, and you can be playing and done in under a half hour uh, with two people that know what they're doing. It's just it's phenomenal. I'm really really impressed and i haven't had a chance to do it yet but i really want to do this as a campaign 
<laughs> nice. I mean, what do you think? Just looking at everything and everything we talked about, like, what, what are your thoughts? I'm, I'm curious because I really want to play this with you. Being that we've played miniature games together, like, I think that this might actually be right up your alley. Yeah, yeah. No, I was thinking that myself. Especially, I got all excited when I saw Little Army Men. I like miniatures. I'm not, like, super into the World War II theme. No, no offense to anybody who likes that stuff, but, yeah. Man, if they put, like, a War Machine skin on this or something, I'd be totally down. I mean, there's, I mean, honestly, there's absolutely nothing stopping you from taking this and applying anything that you want to it. Like you could easily create your own cards. Uh, like the, the core engine here is, at work is, is really fantastic. You could do War Machine. You could do, yeah, you could do Warhammer with it very, very easily. And it would work just as well. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive of Undaunted Normandy. Uh, which of course means that we are at the end of our episode, Robert, a a bittersweet moment because I'm so happy to be recording again. (laughs) What do you mean? It's bittersweet. This is bittersweet because it's over. No, no, no. This is, is, you get to ride, you get to ride, ride the high, man, ride the high. (laughs) So thank you again for joining us for episode 105 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We would love to hear from you, which brings us of course to Robert. Any final thoughts? You're on the PlayStation Plus, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Okay, so tomorrow, so we could go now, because we're totally recording this on time. The next game is going to be a, a game called, like, uh, uh, oh, shoot, I can't find it. It's Dead Dead War or something like that? There we go. Okay, so the, the, the new games that are coming out as part of the, the PlayStation Plus, one of them is Zombie Army 4. Oh, Zombie Army 4 is coming out? I yeah. really like Zombie Army Trilogy. Yeah, so, yeah, it's going to be the free game on PlayStation Plus. And it is a PS4 game, so you'll be able to play it regardless. Yes, do not let me forget to play it, Well, I was going to say, do you want to play it with me? Yes, absolutely. That's why That's why I'm saying do not let me forget. Okay. There you go. That's a date. We'll play it tomorrow. I'm excited. Let's make this happen. Well, then there's really only one last thing to do, Robert. Be excellent to one another. And party on. Party on, Java. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elithiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you 